All right. I know it's cold, so I'm going to try this. Good morning, everyone. Yes. Love it. Love it. I'm from Texas. It's not ever this cold, ever. So always good to get a little bit warmed up through conversation and response. So I appreciate you uh, bearing with me on that. Um, Yeah, we are working our way through the book of Luke. If we haven't met, my name is Thomas. Uh, My wife and I, just like Sophia, we've been here from the very get-go here in Hyde Park and uh, with our two amazing daughters. And um, back in September, we started a new series where we were going through the book of Luke, and we were intentional because we believe that all of these different stories isn't just little sections that we should be cutting and piecing together, but that there's common themes that we see throughout the stories. And when we read the Bible together, all in one piece, we kind of get a bigger scope and a bigger understanding of the author's intent, as well as God's heart. And so we've been doing that. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Luke, learning more and more. But we kind of messed ourselves up a little bit because we kind of took out the very beginning section because that was the story of the birth of Jesus. We started in September and then we paused in November to go back to the very beginning because that had to do with Christmas. It kind of made sense at the time, but now we're going back to where we were before the Christmas season. So I feel like we kind of have to go through a quick reminder of where we are in the book of Luke before we kind of dive into uh, our text for today. So if you want to, you can go back a page or two to Luke chapter 4. I'm just going to skim and give you guys a quick overarching theme of kind of where we're at and where Luke has been teaching us in Jesus's, uh, Jesus's life and what's been going on. So in Luke 4, we see that Jesus has started his public ministry, and, and, and we see at the very get-go, he has a calling to bringing people out of darkness and into light and bringing them closer to him. In verse 31, we see how he, clean, he cleanses a, a demon-possessed man, calling the man who had the demon, moving the demon out of him and calling him to God. Then we see him go and heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who had a huge fever. But then also later in the chapter, lots of people bringing the sick to him and him healing them. Even in chapter 5, we see a paralytic and a leper coming to Jesus and Jesus healing them. Also in chapter 5, we see that Jesus begins calling people to start following him. We see the first three, Simon, Peter, James, and John. So we see Jesus bringing everybody closer in, whether it's closer to himself or closer to God. The demon-possessed, the sick, the lame, even the common man, the fisherman. But today's message, Jesus may be addressing one of the most troublesome evils there is, government taxation. And so uh, we are going to be diving into the story of Levi this morning. So let's, let's start out with a word of prayer, and we're going to explore this story uh, of the story of Levi. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much that you call us. God, you bring us in. You don't leave us in the state that we once were, but God, that you move us closer to you. God, we, 
I believe that you have a story for us today. I believe that you want to show us your love and your grace. God, help us to break down the walls that have prevented us from hearing you. May we see you. May we understand you. God, help us to learn from the story of Levi and follow in similar footsteps. God, may it be your voice who speaks to us today. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. And it's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. All right. 1992. I, I know for some of you, you're like, that's before I was even born. So I just, just bear with me. But in 1992, something happened, at least for me in my life, that was monumental. And in 1992, the United States of America put together a team for their Olympic basketball team that was unlike anything anyone has seen before nor has ever come after. The reason for this is, first of all, there was this huge change in Olympic competition. For the first time ever, the Olympics permitted professional players to actually play for their countries and represent their countries. So this was a huge change from just college players or amateur players to actually professional players actually getting to play in the Olympic Games. And this team that the U.S. put together was so formidable, it would later be referred to as the Dream Team. The best of the best of American basketball players all came together, and this team was full of what would later be Hall of Fame players. I'm talking about Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley, John Stockton, Clyde Drexler, and David Robinson, and of course, two of the most greatest Chicago Bulls ever, Scottie Pippen, and of course the GOAT, Michael Jordan. That's right. And this team absolutely dominated the Olympic Games. They went completely undefeated, 8-0, got the gold medal. They won by an average of 40 points per game, okay? In basketball, if you don't know, that's a lot. That's a large margin of victory, and it is just ridiculous to see how they put together such an amazing team to compete. And this has been the best basketball roster, I believe, ever assembled. They were able to select any player that they wanted within the confines of America and put together this team with unbelievable talent and skill. And I take that story and I look at how uh, the manager and the coach kind of put together and formulated this team and picked the best of the best of some of the best professional players we ever see. And then I switch to our story about Jesus and Levi, and I can't help but wonder why in the world would Jesus choose this man to be one of his followers? I mean, Jesus is God. He knows everything. He knows the best candidates. He knows everybody's resume without anybody turning it in. He could easily create the dream team of leaders to help him in his ministry that would be mind-blowing. The U.S. men's basketball team might not even come close to the kind of team that Jesus could have put together. Not only would Jesus have been able to recruit good talent, it wasn't like he was 
struggling to find it in the general area that he was. Even in this story alone, we see leaders of the religion of, of faith at that time, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, they were there. They were observing. They were even in attendance of the banquet that we're going to get to. They were right there. Those individuals would have had a much stronger push to be part of Jesus's discipleship team. They would have had a greater education. They would have had more understanding, and they would have been religious leaders having an understanding of what the culture would have been like. Would they be better options? Obviously, Jesus didn't think so. So why Levi? Who is this guy? Why is he chosen? What did it cost? This morning, I want us to break down our time together by answering these questions, because I think it shows us the heart of Jesus, what he came to do, and what he came to do for you as well. So come along with me. We're going to answer the simple questions. Who, why, what, and how? Who was Levi? Why did Jesus choose him? What did it cost Levi? And how did it change Levi? All right, so who was Levi? That very first verse, we're going to read it, it's quite simple. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. All right, so who was Levi? Levi also goes by another name that we are much more familiar with in the Bible, Matthew that we see he's, a, he's actually an author of another gospel, the first gospel in the New Testament, Matthew. Before he was a disciple, though, who was he? We don't really get any kind of context from this because it's just one small sentence where we get an introduction. But in the one small sentence, we do get a couple things that I think is very telling for us. First of all, he was called Levi, which would indicate that, first of all, he was Jewish, and that most likely from that very tribe by that name, Levi. Secondly, we get his occupation, a tax collector. You know, I referenced this earlier, but no one is a big fan of government taxes. I don't think any of us, now that we're here in January and we're starting to get those W-2 forms and 1098, so all of us are like, yeah, here we go. Let's get our tax returns. But I, I think it was completely even more so in Jesus's time and in his situation than where we are now. At this time, the nation of Israel was controlled by an occupying empire, the Roman Empire. This empire was harsh and it dominated the known world at that time, Europe, Western Asia, and Africa. It allowed other nations to keep their traditions and their policies. You want to do that, that's fine. But they controlled the people with their government, more importantly, with their army, with their laws, and by taxing the people to keep their military might. They were considered occupiers from a Jewish perspective. And it was occupiers that they believed were supposed to be overthrown by God's chosen people. And as a tax collector, Levi represented this occupying force, taking money to give to the very empire that your 
family, your tribe, your nation was wanting, desiring at some point to overthrow. Not only was this bad enough, but as a tax collector, he didn't have a set salary necessarily like you would expect. Normally when we get hired for a job, we get told, okay, this is how much you're going to make. Or even if it is more of a sales job where it's commission-based, you at least get a percentage of like, you make this sale, this is how much you how much you make. That's not what happened in this situation. With tax collectors, what they would do is they would take your taxes and then they would choose to add a certain amount that they would take to cover their own income. This uh, obviously would create an atmosphere where extortion could be very easily done. And there was no oversight for this practice. As Rome, I mean, they didn't really care whether people were being exhorted, extorted or not, all they cared about is, are, is the government getting the money that it needs. So tax collectors would extort money from their fellow Jews with the backing of the Roman government, and there was nothing that their neighbors could do about it. They were considered traitors to their nation, envious liars who stole money to line their own pockets. They were despised by society around them, You may be wealthy by a tax collector, but you would lose all society and religious value and status. It was almost like you were selling your soul for the wealth that you desired. And as we talked about, we've already seen Jesus taking care of sick and injured, even demon-possessed individuals earlier in the book. But those situations we can kind of rationalize are, are usually not the fault of the individual. I mean, it's not like it's Simon's Peter's mother-in-law's fault that she had a fever, but Jesus healed her. It's not somebody's fault that they're demon-possessed. Jesus took care of them. But I don't think there is any debate over who's at fault for somebody choosing to be a tax collector. Levi knows very well that what he is doing is wrong. And that is, he is exactly what people think he is. Now, before we move on, I I just want to ask you a question. Who are you? How do you see yourself? You know, on Levi's day, he would have considered the lowest of the lows, the chief of sinners. When the Pharisees talked about to Jesus' disciples, how could he dine with people like that? The connection was tax collectors and sinners, because for him, they were one and the same. How do you see yourself? Are there sins in your past that you think, man, this is just unforgivable where I'm at? Is there something in your life that makes you think, if someone in church knew this about me, I wouldn't be asked to come again? You may think, like Levi, that you are too far gone that there's too much baggage that you're carrying, that your pit is too deep. But I believe this story today, Levi is a testament. It doesn't matter how far away from God you may feel. Levi was a traitor, a cheat, and a sinner. Yet through it all, Jesus chose him. Who was Levi? Why? 
why did Jesus choose Levi? So if Levi was this bad, if he was this far gone, why would Jesus choose him? I mean, did Jesus just happen to throw a rock and whoever he hit, that's the guy? No. This was an intentional ask with purpose and reasoning. And I, I think it's evident in the text, and I want to say it for two, two reasons that we see this evidence that it was intentional. First, uh, in our very first sentence, we see that Jesus, in our, in our translation, it says, Jesus saw Levi. This word saw it here, uh, it's a Greek, uh, if you don't know, the Bible's originally in the Greek language. So if we go back to the original Greek language, the word here is ethiosato, ethiosato. Now, you don't have to write it down, I promise. You don't have to memorize it. But this word, it, it does mean see. It's not like they got it wrong or anything like that. But it's, more much, it's much more than just, oh, I see that somebody's here at church today. Or, oh, I can see that it's cold outside. It was, it was more of an intent and a purpose. Jesus didn't just see him, but he observed him. He was watching Levi. So there was something about Levi, about either the way he acted, whether he had seen him before, whether he had been connected before, that made Jesus call him. Levi was somebody that Jesus wanted. He was called specifically. Secondly, I want to notice that Levi was also ready to be called. Look at verse 28. It just says, And leaving everything he rose and followed him. Notice, Levi left. He didn't say, give me a minute, let me pack my things up. He didn't say, let me go put my two weeks notice in so that way I can come back. It wasn't a, let me go talk to my wife about this decision. It wasn't even the question of, well, what are you offering here? What kind of benefits package am I getting here for, for this transition? No, he got up and he left. Levi knew that he needed change. He knew the situation he was in. He knew he needed God. And when Levi was called, there wasn't hesitation. He was ready for Jesus. And when I compare this maybe to the attitude of the Pharisees and scribes later in our story, I think it becomes more and more obvious why Levi was a better choice. Let's read exactly what's going on with the Pharisees in verse 30 as they're at this party and observing what Jesus is doing. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician. But those who are sick, I have, not called, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We could talk about their complaint later, but, but do you see what's going on here? Jesus, the Messiah, is here. He is here. He has finally come. The person that the nation of Israel supposedly has been waiting on for hundreds of years is finally here. The one who's been healing lame, driving out demons. And what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law can do is complain about the company that he keeps. I mean, it's like walking into a room, 
seeing Taylor Swift and complaining about the temperature of the room that you're in. They were missing what was right in front of them. Who cares about the company that is around him? There's Jesus. But because of their pride and their self-righteousness, it blinded them to the truth that they needed Jesus just as much as Levi did. Everyone is in need of a Savior. When I was in college, I I spent a summer doing an internship, and I I worked at a church out in Las Vegas. This was an interesting experience. Uh, It was quite a different experience working at a church in in what is known as Sin City. And you know what I, I did love about working with the people there? Is that the, the people in Las Vegas, they seemed to have no problem being honest about their sin and their struggle that they were in. You know, it wasn't too hard for them to admit that, you know what, I do. I've got a gambling problem. You know what, I am a, an adult entertainer. You know, I do have a drinking issue. Here in the Midwest, most of us try to show that we're generally good people. We try and hide our faults and our failures and our sin. We say we need God, but the truth is we think, you know, we're we're not that bad. We're not that too far gone. We fool ourselves and we try and fool others into thinking we're better than than we actually are. And I think this is exactly the posture that we see the Pharisees had. They assumed that they would be this huge asset to God. You know, yeah, sure, I, I need God. God needs me, but God really needs me too. I'm a leader. I'm the one helping. I have all this righteousness in me. But when Jesus gives the mer- metaphor that only the sick need a doctor, they're under the assumption that that means that they're the healthy group. But unfortunately, I think Jesus shows us that all of us are sick. Paul, uh, one of the very same religious leaders, a Pharisee himself, a leader of the law, says this perfectly in his letter in the book of Rome, in the letter of Romans. He says this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside together and they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. With the attitude of the Pharisees, we are of no use to God. No wonder Jesus had to call Levi instead. Levi was ready. He was ready and others were not. I love this quote. This is by Oswald Chambers. And he says this, We can only be used by God after we allow him to show us the deep, hidden areas of our own, of our own character. This morning, where are you? You know, if Jesus came up to you at your place of work, would you be ready? Would your posture be the same as Levi's where there would be no questions, just immediate response of, God, I don't know where you're calling me, but I'm going. What would it take for you to be in that posture this morning? All right the who and the why. The third one was what. What did it cost Levi? So we discussed 
the, what did it cost? As you could see, he left and he started following Jesus. But Levi follows Jesus for around three years. This wasn't just taking an afternoon off of work to follow him, but was a complete life change for him. And I, I want to posit that Levi gave up more than the previous disciples that we see earlier in the chapter, uh, Peter, James, and John. And here's why. Let's say you are a fisherman. Let's all imagine we're fishermen, and for three years we decide to take a break and go and try our attempts at baking. We're going to be great bakers. And after three years, you find out, man, I am terrible at baking. Nobody wants to buy my bread, and and I can't do this. And I go bankrupt in baking. The good news is you can always go back to being a fisherman. You know, a fisherman is a trade. It's a skill that you've learned and you've grown in. You can go back to that skill that you have already grown and learned. However, look at the role of Levi. He left his post, a government job, abandoned his duties, and left his work for someone else to do. Unlike fishing, it is unlikely that his old job would welcome him back with open arms after this situation. Levi wasn't just taking a sabbatical from his profession. He was leaving. Think of the cost of this. There was no going back if things didn't work out with Jesus. No, he gave up his profession. Can you, go, can you imagine Levi going home and explaining to his wife about the decision that he had? Instead of what is a profitable, even if it is somewhat immoral profession, I'm going to be a student under this homeless rabbi as we wander through the country telling people about God. I know if I told my wife this, there'd be quite a few follow-up questions that we'd have to work through. The cost of Levi was great. He left his job without much hope of ever getting it back. His life would forever be changed by the one interaction with Jesus. Everything was on the line, and he chose Christ. Is there something in your life that if God asked you, you would not be willing to give up. Like Levi, if God called you to abandon your job, would you be able to do it? If he asked you to change a relationship in your life, something with a family member, a friend, that significant other, would you be willing to make the change that's required? If the request was to drain your bank account, to stop watching TV, to abstain from alcohol, to change your major at school, whatever it is, what is it that you're saying, you know what, I'm willing to follow Jesus, but at this, that's, that's too far. Is Jesus truly number one in your life, or is there something else that's more of a priority? Now, I'm not proposing that we all should be turning in our two weeks' notice tomorrow. There is a huge need for faithful Christians in our workplace and representing Christ but I am asking what is most important. If the first priority in your life isn't Jesus, then there's a misalignment of your priorities and we need to readjust ourselves and bring ourselves back to God. Are you being called right now to change? So how did it, how did it change Levi? 
He was called. He made this huge sacrifice. So what happens? What did he gain? We have uh, the who, the why, and the what. Let's finally dive into the, the change that he had. Verse 29, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So just looking at the top level of this verse, it doesn't appear that really a lot has changed. The same crowd that Levi used to hang out with and spend time with is the same crowd he's, dealing, he's working with now, the tax collectors and others. It's the same kind of party crowd. It doesn't seem like anything really is different. But I think if we look deeper, it's easy to see. It's obvious that there was a change. If we look at it, first of all, that Jesus, the party was made for him. It says that Levi made him a feast, him being Jesus. So this wasn't just some normal get together like Levi used to have, but it was for Jesus because everything about Levi's perspective completely changed with Jesus entering in his world. Now it was no longer, I need to be around these people to get my value and worth, but I need these people to be introduced to this same person that's changed everything about me. I want to I give a, a longer illustration about this. And just imagine Levi being by himself, or better yet, picture yourself. You're here. And as all of us go through our lives, we have to interact with the world around us. This is our family, our friends, our work, our health, everything that we have that involves the life that we live. And as we go about our lives, we think, we seek things in our world to give us something, pour into us, dive into us. We see our value from the world. Am I of value? Do I bring anything of worth? We seek our worth. Do others really care about me? If anything was to change, would they even care if I was gone? We seek purpose. What is the reason I am here? And what should I do? And we seek meaning. Why am I here? And what is all this for? So we search for this and we search for answers within our lives. But the truth is, every aspect of our lives is going to come up short. No matter how perfect that relationship you have may be, it's never going to be enough to answer all the questions that are in your heart. No matter how much purpose you think your job is having, it can be just one bad month and you're out on the street. So much can change. We seek to get our filling and our calling within the world and it's leaving us wanting. But when we allow God into the picture, he shows up. He calls us and we answer. And this changes the script. Now, as our known creator, as our maker, he is able to be the one who knit us together. He's able to tell us our value and worth. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's able to pour into us and say that you have purpose, that you have meaning, that you were made to glorify God and that he has a purpose for your life. And when we get that from God, not only is it enough for us, 
but it is overflowing as we hear in Psalm 23. My cup overflows. There is so much love and grace that God gives when we're in relationship with him, when we're working in him, that it overflows, not coming from the world coming to us anymore, but from us going into our world, into our families, into our friends and our workplaces. And we get to show that love and grace that God has given us. Being called by Jesus transformed Levi, so much so that his name even changed. From this point on, we never hear the name Levi in the book of Luke again, but we hear the name Matthew, which means gift from God. Because Levi at this point is going, you know what, the rest of my life it's just a gift. What God has given me and what he's poured into me. Because Jesus chose him. Jesus chose Levi because God loves redeeming the unredeemable, loving the unlovable, and rescuing those who are far too gone. And this morning, Jesus is choosing you too. I know Jesus may not show up in person at your, at your classroom on Tuesday or in your workplace, but Jesus is choosing you. By Jesus dying on the cross in our place, he has redeemed every one of us in a way that was impossible for us to redeem ourselves. If you don't take anything else from this morning uh, and from our story from Levi, take this, like Levi Jesus chose you, and you are never too far away from God for Jesus to bring you back.